Welcome to Ambitious Motherhood, the podcast for the mom who is chasing after her dreams in motherhood and business. This is your permission slip to pursue all that you were created to be and live out your calling both in and out of your home. Here's your host, Katie Fleming. So today on the podcast, we are talking with Jessica Stansberry. We're talking all about how to create a sales funnel with content that sells on autopilot. She is going to go into this random piece of content she created on YouTube that now brings in over $5,000 a month. Random. She's going to share with us what that is and how that now fits into her strategy. And guys, this is just a really amazing episode. Whether you're on YouTube or not, we should all be creating consistent content somewhere. Okay, and she goes over the hierarchy of how you can move people and connect with people in a better, deeper way quicker. So I'm excited for you to hear this episode. There's lots of good things shared. But before we get to it, let me introduce you to who Jessica is. Jessica Stansberry is a content marketing strategist for rockstar business owners who are ready to level up and start using content to market their businesses on autopilot. She throws down knowledge bombs with weekly free blog content, a YouTube channel, e-courses, one-on-one consulting, done-for-you services, and her free Facebook group. You can find out more about her at jessicastansberry.com. All right, let's get to today's interview. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. So excited to have you. So fill everybody in on who you are and what you do in this whole online space and then in motherhood. So I'm Jessica Stansberry. I am a content marketing strategist for entrepreneurs. I fully believe that everybody could create businesses where their content sells for them. And that's kind of my mission in life. I started as a web designer way back in the day. And I actually started that business because I wanted to stay at home with my baby. Through the years, it's morphed and it's changed. And I went from web designer to infopreneur, which is still where kind of the camp I'm in. And I've just let it ride. Like that's one of my biggest things is focusing on one thing, but not being afraid to pivot and change because of what my audience wants. So I was teaching a lot of tech tutorial and things like that. And my audience started saying, how are you growing on YouTube? How are you doing this? How are you able to make sales? How, how do sales funnels work? And so I just kind of adapted and changed to what they wanted. So I do that. I have two little boys. They are eight and five, almost six. And yeah, we live on a farm in the mountains of North Carolina. We actually just bought our own land and built a house out here before we had been living on my husband's family's land on farm and had a house there. So that's, that's really the basics of it. Sweet. So from all that, I've got a few questions for you. And the first one is, can you define for everybody listening what an infopreneur means to you? Yeah. And I actually, I think it's one of those things that it's weird to call yourself, but at the same time, I don't know a better word for myself. So an infopreneur is basically someone who makes their money by selling information. So course creators, people like me who do free content, but that free content then leads to affiliate sales. They're basically basically followed and known for their information and people pay them for the information that they get from them. So is your primary income source those affiliate sources? Primary income is from my courses and membership. Secondary, definitely affiliates. And then third would be my coaching because I don't do a lot of that. I specifically try not to. I take on just a few clients here and there. So that would be the third. How did you settle on that, like those income streams and which one you were going to put most of your intention behind? That's a good question. I think it comes with 
trial and error more than anything and seeing what works best for you. I lose my mind if I have to be on the phone all the time. And I love to talk. I'm an extrovert. I am here for the party. However, being on the phone exhausts me. So if I have to take on more than a couple of clients at a time, then I have to be on the phone a lot more. So for me, I know I don't want to take on a ton of clients because one, I want to be able to focus on the one to many model. I want to be able to get many people to purchase my things and to be able to help many people in a a bigger scale than I can just charging them a higher dollar and getting one-on-one time with me. But for me, a lot of it came down to what I wanted my day to look like. Do I want my day to look like me just working by myself or do I want it to be on the phone? And everybody's different. But for me personally, I would rather not be on the phone all day. So I actually have one, sometimes two days a week where I'm on the phone all day. Like today is my call batching day. But then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm totally free to create content, to do the work inside of my business. And that's what I wanted to do. So that's kind of how I built that out. Like, okay, well, if that's how I want my day to look, my ideal week to look, then what are the little pieces I have to put together to make that happen? Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. And I think it also depends a lot on your business season and also your life season. So taking those into account, like from the beginning, I don't necessarily think it's best for somebody to be like, I'm just going to hope that these affiliate sales are going to work and expect an income. We might have to do a little more one-on-one client work, those things in the beginning, just to get the ball rolling, to allow us to have the choices to pivot, like you're saying. Yeah. And I actually tell people that all the time. People will come to me with no audience and having basically no business. And they'll be like, I want to sell courses. And I'm like, well, great. Do some one-on-one work first. Because one, you don't have the audience to sell to. The bigger your audience is, the more money you can make selling courses, selling affiliates, whatever. And if you have no audience there to sell to, nobody's clicking on those links, regardless of all the other stuff you're doing. And two, for me, I don't think you know what to create a course about or to create content about about unless you have those one-on-one clients who are telling you what to do. So I tell people a lot, that's great and all, that's a two-year plan. Right now we're going to focus on one-on-one clients. So absolutely. Yeah. Building that audience first and then creating something they want and that can solve a problem for them. Makes the marketing of it so much easier. It really does. It's almost seamless, you know? Yeah, exactly. So tell me, how did you build that, your first audience, your first chunk of people back in 2011 when you were doing website design? So the website design was very word of mouth. I wasn't focused on building an email list. Honestly, I don't even know that Were I had you local an email list. With that? Um, no, not local because nobody in my local area could afford me. I just got in Facebook groups before that was even a strategy. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. You know what I mean? And this person would hire me and then this person and definitely word of mouth. But as far as like when I started building an audience to be able to sell to the masses, that was around 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. 2015 is when I started really producing content on my blog, on Pinterest, on Insta, you know, whatever, to lead people back to my stuff. That's also the year we started the podcast that I'm now not co-hosting, but I was. <laughs> that really helped. You know, we got a lot of kind of big hitter guests really early on who shared it with their audience and then they kind of snowballed from there. But I will say I sold a course, quote unquote, sold a course. And I'm saying that with air quotes, guys, because I sold it at the end of 2015 and sold zero. None. Nothing. We've all been there. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and that's just, 
idea. A lot of people think, oh, my first course, I'm going to launch it and be like this magical unicorn. No, not so much. And I probably had 500 people on my email list at the time. So it's actually surprising that I didn't sell, but I don't think I had my marketing nailed down, which is fine. And then about six months later, I launched something else. I had my first five-figure launch. So it worked really well for me. And that's, that's when I started YouTube, all of that. So I spent several years just working word of mouth. And I actually don't recommend that at all. It was definitely a struggle because there would be seasons in my business where I'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't know where my next client is coming from and I need to make this money. So even if you're service-based and you're listening, I definitely recommend working on building an audience so that you don't have that issue, that there's always a pool of people there who might want to hire you. Yeah. So if you could go back to 2015, Jessica, what would you tell her to do in terms of strategy and client attraction? I would definitely have been on YouTube earlier for sure. And I would have been focusing on creating SEO worthy content, which is what I do now and really networking and getting my name out there. I think I went to my first conference in 2016. So before that, I was not getting out there and networking and rubbing elbows and doing the things you're supposed to do, you know? Mm -hmm. And I will say without a shadow of a doubt, that's been so helpful for my business in the last three years. So I would definitely have been doing more of that for sure. Yeah. How do you work that into your schedule these days? Just is it a weekly thing? Are you connecting with people online or is it strictly events? For me right now, it's events. I did a lot of coffee chats, like virtual coffee chats in 2015, 2016. And then last year in 2018, I traveled once a month to go to a different event, whether I was speaking. I think there was only two events I went to that I wasn't speaking at, but there was just a lot of traveling and networking. And then that kind of snowballs. So like you meet somebody at a conference and then you want to get on the phone with them. And then, you you know, so it kind of snowballs and they know somebody who they want to refer you to. And it just kind of happens that way. This year, I'm taking a step back a little bit from traveling because one, I have little kids. My husband works a full-time job. So it's kind of hard for me to travel all the time. And I live three hours from an airport. So it adds a lot (laughs) to my traveling schedule. You know, they're always expensive when you live a far way away from airports. Oh yeah, because then almost always, especially if I fly West Coast, I have to stay the night before in a hotel. So that's an added night in a hotel at the airport. And then I have to, you know, it's just, it's a mess. So this year I'm traveling less, but making it more quality quality over quantity for sure. And I'm definitely doing more podcast interviews and things like that because I took my own podcast off my plate. And that was also, I have to say that, that was also a big piece of my networking strategy over the last three years was interviewing people on my podcast, being in those kind of circles and doing that. Yeah, totally. You mentioned YouTube as a part of your strategy. Oh yeah. When you say you would have done that again, started it earlier, is there a different option for people that are listening that are like, I don't want to do video. That seems to much work. Are there any other options that you would lump in the same bucket? as a YouTube channel. Yeah, for sure. So blogging is the hierarchy. Blogging is the biggest thing. And whether you have a YouTube channel, a podcast, whatever, the blog is kind of the backbone of it. That's what Google is going to find when you go Google something or your like audience is out there and they're like, I'm going to go Google this thing. Hopefully they're going to find the blog post. I will say though, that there are different levels of making people like you, (laughs) right? And we all talk about the no like and trust factor and getting people to know you 
like you and trust you because they have to do that before they purchase from you. Mm -hmm. And to move them through that process, there's four ways to do it. There are definitely quicker ways to do it and slower ways. Slowest way is blogging by itself, the written word. People can't hear your voice. People can't feel like they know you. They're just reading words on a digital page. They're not really getting that connection. They can and they will. It's just going to take them a little longer. Then second is podcasting. So you're going to get to hear somebody's voice. Maybe they have a blog post, but they also have the podcast episode to go with it. That makes you feel like you know them a little better. Third is video because then you can really see their mannerisms. I say this all the time and people think I'm crazy. My husband thinks I'm crazy. But when I was a teenager and I would get a new boyfriend and we would get on the phone, I wouldn't even consciously do it, but I would think about, I wonder what his house looks like. And you wouldn't even consciously do it. But I remember, for instance, my husband, when I, again, it wasn't a conscious thought. I wasn't thinking like, I wonder what his house looks like. But when I went there, I was like, huh, this looks different than I thought it did. Yeah. Same thing with your voice, right? You could sound a certain way and someone creates that vision of what you are in their head. And then they see you on video and they're like, huh, you look totally different than I thought you were going to look. We just create that in our brains. I do the same thing where I'll tell my husband, that doesn't match. Yeah. Match what? I'm like, I don't know the thing in my head. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's such a crazy notion, but at the same time, we all do it. So it's kind of like you're taking that step out with video because they can see you. They can see your environment. They can see the way you act. They can see the way you talk. They can see your mannerisms. And you know, for me, I talk with my hands a lot so people can see that and they feel like they know you quicker. And then the fourth way is networking and in person. Meeting someone in person is going to get you through that no like and trust factor so much quicker than anything else. But for a lot of us, especially mamas, we're sitting behind a computer, you know, with kids and we can't be going to events every other day. So really that hierarchy comes to video because it's just a way to get you known. And not only that, but that can be done on any type of video, right? Instagram stories, Facebook lives, Facebook, whatever. But YouTube adds a really special touch because YouTube actually is favored by Google because Google owns YouTube. So let's say you and I, (laughs) we created the same blog post and you did a podcast episode with yours and I did a YouTube video. My blog post would be found higher in Google because of that YouTube video. So there's just a big magical fluffiness that goes along with it. And it's been one of the best things I've ever done in my business. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier in this episode that your content brings you leads and really Mm -hmm. sales on autopilot. Explain that process for us. Yeah. So it basically all comes down to sales funnels. So I create content, blog posts, YouTube videos, podcast episodes, whatever. And then at the end of that content, I give away some kind of free thing that I think the people listening slash watching will want to have. So a lot of times I will change it with the content based on what it is. So for instance, I have a video that has hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube that's about Trello, how to use Trello. In that video, I give them a copy of my Trello boards. So like, hey, you don't want to create them from scratch. Here's all the ones I use. I have another video that is all about digital planning which was a total accident, but it went viral. So that was cool. So I have leads going in there in a different way. So what I do is I create the content and then I give a free piece of content that goes with it, that is complimentary, that the person reading, listening, watching will want to have. And then from there, now they're in my email sequence and I kind of bring them through a process of getting to know me better, me getting to know them better, and then hopefully coming out the other end, a client or a customer. And for instance, on the digital planning video, I actually don't have a freebie. It goes straight to the sale. So it's a $24 sale, $29 sale. And that video in the last month has made me over $5,000. It's amazing. And it's seamless, right? I made one video. And I didn't didn't even know digital planning 
containers were a thing until you started talking about them. They're so cool. And you know, a lot of people did it. And so they're finding out about it. They're Googling it. They're finding my video and then they're going and buying my thing. And not only are they buying that, but I can probably upsell to them later. Like, oh, I have this other thing you could purchase or whatever. So I have all of the content that I put out in some way leads back to something I sell. Yeah. So that's kind of how it all leads together. I feel like I can hear the questions now. People being like, okay, you've got like 20,000 different opt-ins, right? And then you're sending them to your email sequence. Do you have like one specific kind of an indoctrination email sequence that people get when they come onto your list? Yes, I do. And I will say I don't have as many opt-ins as it looks like I have. Back when I first started creating content on YouTube, I did. Every video that went out had a different thing. Now I have like three opt-ins and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of rotate them through based on the content because I do try and stay in a certain lanes of content. Like I talk about YouTube, I talk about blogging, I talk about digital planning, which is again, off in the corner. It was total accident, but it works and it's fine with me. But yes, so everybody comes in, they do whatever I ask them to do in the content and then they get an email with their freebie. In that email, it says, hey, you're going to be getting another email from me in a couple of hours. Just make sure you open it. I just want to give you some more content, blah, blah, blah. So then yes, I have a, I think it's three or four email sequence that is like, hey, here's who I am, what I do. Here's my backstory. If you want to hear more, here's a link to a podcast episode where I really tell about it. Just leading them to other content basically and giving them free advice. But it's really easy for me because I can just link off to old content. And then I kind of go through the process of like, hey, you should join my Facebook group. And when you're in there, come introduce yourself. So I see it. So they feel like I'm connecting with them in some way. And I really do want to. So I kind of direct them in that way. But yeah, it's about three or four emails that everybody gets the same ones. And it's good. You're giving them other opportunities to come see your face on video or come chat with me in a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Just build that know, like, and trust a little faster and deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just it. You don't want to just leave people hanging, you know, like, oh, you found this really cool piece of content. I'm glad I could help you. Bye. You want to help them over and over. And I say all the time, if you can help someone solve a problem for someone, you're instantly one of their best friends. So if you can continue to do that, like, oh, I didn't even know I had that problem, but I need that, you know? And that's like the broken link in my email is one of my first pieces of content that I probably put out in 2016. Actually, I know I did. That is all about how to create an interactive signature on Gmail and how to make it clickable with pictures and all this stuff. Super old content for me at this point. It's three years old, but you're getting people who are emailing back and being like, I'd love to see this, but the link is broken. So it's a matter of just putting things out there that I know that people are going to want to see based on what they came in for to begin with. Right. So how do you have your content lanes, as you kind of said, but then also leave room for those spontaneous digital planning type content things (laughs) that end up blowing up? (laughs) Yeah, the digital planning thing really was an accident. And I say all the time, a happy accident, I'm not mad at it, but I say all the time that when you're creating content, a lot of people get stuck saying, I'm a web designer. All I can talk about is web design or I'm a business coach. All I can talk about is the business coachy pieces of business, right? Like I can't talk about other things. And I encourage people a lot to think outside the box. If you're a web designer, what is something someone's going to have to do before they get to you? Before they need a web designer, what are they going to need? those problems and now you're on their radar. But then I also say, but be careful if you talk too much about one thing or 
something just happens to go viral, you could pigeonhole yourself into having to talk about that thing now. And I will say that has kind of happened for me. I want to continue talking about digital planning, one, because I love it, but two, because it blew up. I know it does well on my channel. It doubled my subscribers per day that one video did. And so I want to continue doing that, but it feels a little disjointed from the rest of my stuff. So the advice I have there is to really stay in the lanes as much as you possibly can, but think out of the box to what they need before or after they work with you. What little pieces of things can you give them that are in a big course that they, you're just giving them little pieces, but then they need that big course. But don't be afraid to talk about things you're passionate about and let them get to see the person behind the business. Because I think prediction, Jessica said it first, I think 2019, 2020 will be the years. There's not as many niches. It's more of people being people people. Yeah. And personal brands and being okay with selling essential oils to their business coach people. You know, I think there's going to be more of that. So we need to see that. We want to see the people behind the company and it makes us like it more. So we kind of have to do that as a business owner. Yeah. So, I mean, those are things that I think about and have just battled with even personally in my business is like, hey, I'm a business marketing positioning expert. That's what I love doing, love helping people with. But on the same time, same side of that, I'm a mom. I love sharing the motherhood side, how I'm balancing the motherhood and business. It's important. So I find myself teeter-tottering between mom blogger and business coach and like yeah. trying to find the fine line between that. So. Yeah. And I, I think that's because of our background, right? We know that the riches are in the niches or like whatever the other sayings are. But I honestly think we have to step back and not think about it as much. Just be ourselves and be who we are and talk about the things we love. It's what will attract people to us too. I will say that a lot of people, anytime I come out and I'm like, hey, so I want to talk about this random thing that makes no sense in the normal person's mind of why I'd be talking about it. People will be like, oh my gosh, I love that you shared that. (laughs) You know, so it's something that just connects us. Even if it doesn't make us money, it will, it will connect us to that person, you know? Yep. Hey, just wanted to pop in real quick and say, aren't you loving this episode? Screenshot your show, tag me and Jessica Stansberry on Instagram. We would both love to hear everything you're loving about this episode and what you plan to implement into your business and your marketing strategy through content. So if you and I were sitting down and you're trying to convince me, Katie, you need a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And I'm already kind of pretty much convinced that I do. So (laughs) you don't have to work too hard. But what would be those first steps? How would we define those content lanes? And then what does that process look like? So the content lanes, you have to think about where you want people to end up. That's the biggest thing. Do you have courses you want them to purchase? Do you want them to hire you one-on-one? Do you have a membership? Do you want to lead them to affiliates? Where are people going to end up? For me, for instance, I have a membership where I teach content marketing as a whole. I teach blogging, podcasting, video marketing, YouTube, all of the things as a whole and how to lead them down a sales funnel. Everything we've talked about today in a membership. So I know that's one lane. I need to be able to create content that goes to that lane. Then I have my YouTube course that is a higher end course. It is for people who are ready to start a YouTube channel to grow their business. So I know that I need to create content to go to that course. And then I have this random digital planner. So <laughs> you'll eventually build out more, I'm sure. Yes. Like yeah. And I already have started and it's great and I love it and I want to sell more of it. So for me, I know these are the three lanes I need to stay in. If it can't eventually sell my membership, my course, or my digital planner, I'm probably not going to talk about it. But that's not to say like I could talk about how I'm productive 
my five productivity tips. And that doesn't sound like it has anything to do with any of them. Yeah. But what about a planner? I'm pretty sure that's probably one of my productivity tips, right? So you can get out of the box, but think about those end goals. What do you want people to purchase from you? So that's how you would create like your content lanes. Then to really get started on YouTube, I would just say you need to be doing videos once a week and you need to turn the camera on and go. People get so caught up in optimizing and keeping Yes. And they're so important. Like, don't get me wrong. That's exactly why I have a course to teach it all, right? But what's really important is getting comfortable on camera because that does not come naturally to 99% of people. It didn't to me either. Now, I don't even care. I could look like a hot mess and I do not care. I will turn on the camera. I'll be like, hey, what's up? I'm on a video today because it's just how it's kind of come over the last couple of years. But just turn on the camera and go. And a lot of people get hung up on the equipment, what they need, you know, blah, blah. You need nothing. You need your phone, a window, and a topic to talk about. And that's literally it. What about a backdrop? No, like as long as it doesn't look trashy. I will say I told somebody that and then they put up a video and I was like, oh, maybe you should move the food and the diapers from the background because you don't want it to look bad. You want it to portray what you want to portray, right? And you don't want it to look like you're a hot mess. But before I got this stuff in my office, we just moved about a month ago. I was recording in front of that blank wall. There was nothing back there. I have recorded in my kitchen in my living room. I've recorded in a park before. Like you don't really need a backdrop. You need good content and you need to not be dark. That's why I say sit in front of a window. That's really it. Good sound quality, which can be fixed if you don't have it. Sometimes we're in echoey rooms and we don't really realize it until we start recording videos. So if you don't have good sound quality, there's like $13 mics you can plug into your phone. It's not an expensive endeavor and it is well worth the process and the growing pains because I will say without a shadow of a doubt, every single time that my YouTube subscribers go up, my website visitors go up, my email list goes up, it's all on autopilot. And because I have those systems built in, my sales go up, my revenue goes up. So it's well worth every bit of beginning pains. Yeah. So take me through what it looks like to create that content. How do you schedule that into your days? And then do you batch? Yes, I do. I batch a lot. People listening are going to be like, what? As I get that that reaction all the time. But so what I do is I do have an audience now. So I do have people asking me questions on Instagram, asking me questions on YouTube, on Facebook, just in person, whatever. So I make mental note of those questions and then I put them in a Trello board and I say, okay, like here's random questions. Sometimes I'll even send out a survey to my audience on my email list. Be like, hey, what questions do you have? I did that last week, two weeks ago. So I get questions and I keep a running tally of them. I also pay attention to what is going on in my niche. Are there a lot of people talking about something? Like for instance, yesterday LinkedIn said that they're going to release live video. So maybe a lot of people are talking about that. Maybe I need to make a video about that. Is that going to be really search worthy? So I kind of keep a running list and then I have a process built out in Trello where I move it from that list to yes, it's for sure. And then I move it from that list to filming, that list to editing, that list to writing the blog posts, like whatever those things are. So we can kind of visually move it through the process. I do batch. What I do to batch is I pick a day and that's usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday because for me calls land on Tuesday, Thursday and I pick a day where I'm like, okay, I need to batch a lot of content. This is going to be that day. The night before I will sit down and pick the topics. I will schedule them out. Like here's my content schedule. I do videos on Monday, Wednesday. So here's where these are going to land. I go through and do bullet points for all of them. By the way, this part takes like an hour because I've already got the topics. I just have to do a little bit of keyword research and do the bullet points. That's 
that's it. And then the night before I also lay out four or five shirts so that I can switch them out and make sure they're not wrinkled and gross and whatever. And then the day of, I just film. And at this point, I film about 16 videos in a batch process of about two hours. Yeah. How often? Like once a month? Once every couple months, probably. Because it's 16 videos for me right now that'll last me eight weeks. And at certain points, I've done one video a week. So that's lasted me over a quarter of the year. And so it depends on how much you're putting out that content. So I will usually do it probably right now about every six weeks to stay a couple weeks ahead of my next batch process. You will not be able to batch 16 videos at one time when you first start ever. Consider it good if you do four. I did a challenge here a while back that was five days to one month of content. And I walked people through developing the topics, writing the blog post, filming the videos, editing the videos, and then scheduling them for a month of content. And it took them about an hour to two hours a day during those five days. And they had a month of content. They had four videos done by the time it was over. So consider it good if you've done four or five and know that as you get better, it'll get better. My videos are seven to 10 minutes usually. And at this point, I don't screw up as much as I used to. I definitely do, but it's not as much as I used to. So it's a little easier to sit down and record them all. Yeah. I loved watching. You did a story about your thumbnail capturing, trying to capture the thumbnail. It was hilarious, y'all. It's ridiculous. When I'm doing it, I don't feel dumb. Watching it back, I feel real dumb. And because it makes the most sense for me to just do it on the video because while it's being edited, we can export the thumbnails rather than taking self-timer pictures. So yeah, I just let the camera roll and make weird faces and move like a robot and point. If you go to Jessica's channel, you guys that are listening, you'll see her thumbnails are all very cute. (laughs) Thank you. And that's important. Thumbnails are supposed to have emotion and are supposed to be fun and footloose and fancy free kind of thing. I focus on that. Like I'm probably going to make silly faces in most of my thumbnails because I know that that draws attention. It's just the part of the game, you know? Yeah. So talk to me about keywords. They shouldn't stop us from starting, but they are important. So talk Mm -hmm. to me about that. Yeah. Keywords are definitely important. You're not going to get your content found if you're not doing the research to do the keywords. I use a tool called Keywords Everywhere. It's a Chrome extension and it is amazing and it's free. And basically what it does is it populates the Google keyword results on any search bar. So I can just go to Google and start saying like, okay, I want to talk about digital planners, for instance. So if I start typing in digital planning, it might have 110 searches a month, whereas digital planner has a thousand. So for me at my point in my business, I can go after those higher searched terms and get bigger traction. A beginner would need to go after those beginner terms. Now, keywords are one of those things people get tripped up on. One, they get tripped up on it because they don't know how to do it, right? And I totally get that. That's like, oh, well, what is a good keyword? How do I start? And the answer to that, I would say, you need to think of how your audience is asking the question because that's probably how they're typing it into Google. That's where you start. Then you go to Google and see, is somebody typing this in? Google tells us. They'll populate answers if it is. And then this keyword tool helps you too to see how many people are. But as far as the audience level, if you're starting off, if you try and go after something that 2,000 people are searching for a month and probably a lot of people with big audiences are going after that term, you'll get buried. You'll just get buried in search. There's no way to kind of take off in that area. So you want to focus on being found for those lower search terms. They're still searched. They're just searched less times. 
and less competition. So you want to focus on those, build up your audience so that YouTube, Google, whatever is judging you, right? Sees that you have a bigger audience and then you can start going after bigger and bigger terms. It's kind of hard to explain, but at the same time, I will say that's one of the keys to using keywords is to go after key terms that you can actually rank for, not ones that you just hope that you can rank for. Yeah, almost finding the keyword niches. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you can definitely spread out digital planning. For example, I could do one where I'm targeting digital planning. Then I could do one where I'm targeting digital planner. Then I can do one where I'm targeting how to create a digital planner or whatever. So you can spread it out and make different pieces of content, but it's really important to stay in your lane and know that if you're just starting, you can't compete with Entrepreneur Magazine on Google, you know? So saying like how to start a business, because I'm a business coach and that's a content piece I need to create, you will never get found. So find out what those little things are underneath it that you could get found for and then go from there. Got it. Love it. So how have you handled your content as you've pivoted over time? Is any of it outdated? How do you deal with maybe some stuff not being quite evergreen as you would have liked? Yeah, that's just the nature of the beast with pivoting and that that's going to happen with anybody. And yes, oh girl, I have old content that I will not go back and watch because one, I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) Two, I had a really bad haircut at some point and that was bad. And I look back and I'm like, what was I, why did I do what? Did you leave them up? Yeah, they're Yeah, I did the same thing with my podcast. It's I don't ratchet. I know, right? People don't even say ratchet anymore, but I just said it. So yeah, it's content that's out there. So funny story. I had I went to a hairstylist and was like, I want ombre hair. I had like really long hair. This is in 2016. No, 2017. And she literally highlighted half of my hair. Like that's she did not ombre my hair. It was I. It looked like somebody put a plastic bag over my head and then painted that. Like there was a line, and I eventually cut it off because we couldn't get rid of it. But at the time I didn't want to cut it off. So I went to my other, another hairstylist and we tried to get the color out, but it was blonde. It was bleach. It was hard to do. And so I had this literal line around my hair for a really long time. One of the biggest pieces of content that still drives a massive amount of people to my channel that drives a massive amount of people to my website and onto my email list is a piece of content I did on how to create and sell digital products where I have the bad hair. My video is super dark. And I don't even have anything that leads to now that used to lead to a course on how to create digital products. And I don't have that anymore. So yes, I mean, that definitely is a thing. And what I try to do is go back in and replace the cards that are in the O. So if it was linking to that old course or linking to something that's not relevant, I do try and go back in and do that. When um, you say cards, do you mean the little link buttons that come up? Yeah, that like pop across the screen. And you only get those if you're monetized on YouTube. So you're only going to get those over a thousand subscribers anyway, but still. I try and go back and change those. I try and go back and change description links, like the little links that are in the, the caption for the video and put new freebies in on the blog post that accompanies it but sometimes you just can't help it. And for me, as long as I'm getting them on my email list, I can figure out how to get them into one of those lanes later. Right now, I just need to get them on the email list, right? Yeah, I love it. So how are you tracking all this? Because you know where things are coming from, mm-hmm. where what videos are doing this stuff. Do you just have like one master spreadsheet? No, I don't have a spreadsheet. I'm not that organized. <laughs> I know generally if it's coming from usually one to like four videos have the same opt-in. Okay. So I know that like, oh, they're coming in from one of those. I don't really care which one, honestly. And 
I also know by my YouTube analytics and metrics, which one of those videos are getting more views, right? So I can kind of deduce it and figure it out and figure out, oh, like this one has way more views. They're going to this and going from there. So for me, it's more of tracking it by the opt-in rather than the video. But I can also see on YouTube which videos perform the best so I can produce more of that content. Yeah. Technical question. What email service provider do you use? ConvertKit. I... Favorite? Favorite. Favorite. I love them. First of all... Aren't you the one that left and like came back to them? I went to like three different companies and came back. And I love the people behind ConvertKit for one. Nathan, the CEO, he's amazing. All of the people behind it are, they're a really good company. But yes, so right before they released visual automations, I was like, I need visual automations. I'm going to Entreport. That was the biggest mistake of my life. I hate Entreport. Sorry, if anybody's using it or if anybody that owns the company is listening, but I hated it. So I was like, okay, this is not going to work. So my OBM at the time was like, let's move you to active campaign. It's much more user-friendly and still has those visual builders. And it was, and it was great, but I felt like I was removed a little bit from the, the personal touch to my email list. It still felt hard to just open my email and send an email to people. Yeah. And ConvertKit, it doesn't feel that way. So ConvertKit moved me over. Like I didn't have to do it, which was great. So I moved back. So I bounced around for about six months and then I came back. Yeah. I love ConvertKit too. Yeah, sure. One of my faves. So as we kind of transition into the last little bit of this interview, I am curious to know, I've started asking a couple of people this question lately and I would love to ask you, what does ambitious motherhood mean to you? For me, it is showing my kids that I can both raise a family and do, you know, do the mom thing, but also have a badass business. But, you know, have a business can be proud of and that they can be proud of me for. Mama's got skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny. My oldest son used to think that I designed logos for superheroes, like the Batman symbol. And I don't know where he got it, but whatever. That's adorable. But for me, I want to do more than just one, sit at a desk and work the same job for 70 years. Like I just, you know, and you don't work that long, but you know what I mean? I don't want to do that. And so for me, it's, it's really creating a life where... I could have the mom side and the business side and balance them both. And I will say just as advice, there's never balance. There's always a teeter-totter. You know, while we were moving and while we were doing that, like my business just went on autopilot. I just made whatever I make normally and that was the end of it because I couldn't physically do everything. I was packing boxes all day. I was, you know, whatever. But now that we've moved and we've settled, I'm a little bit more in business mode. So it's it comes in seasons, but that's, that's really what it means for me. Yeah, it's it's impact too. It's for me, it's that pursuing my calling in my home, but also outside of my home and realizing that we have the blessing in this day and age to have both and to do both well. Totally. And you know, I used to sit at my job and pray that I could stay at home with my kids. And now I just want them to go to school so I can work. Um, It's such a funny lip, but at the same time, if there's a snow day, I'm here. If a kid is sick, I'm here. Yes, I might have to cancel a call or two, but I'm here. And I I have that flexibility to do that. And that, that is worth more than anything to me. And as long as we can make enough money doing that, I'll do it forever. Yeah, right there with you. I love being the one to pick them up in preschool. And when they go to kindergarten, it's going to be awesome. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Super fun. And I'm glad I get to do that. So, okay. Another question I love asking because I'm a book junkie. Mm -hmm. So two questions. Do you read more than one book at one time? And then tell me the best book you've read and what you're currently reading. No, I don't read and no. No, I'm joking. 
I actually don't read a lot. I like to listen to audiobooks, but I generally can't keep my focus on them unless I'm doing like a lot of driving. So I tend to listen to books when I travel because I have to drive three hours to the airport and then be at the airport for two hours, then get on the plane. So I tend to like finish books that way. So I know I'm never reading multiple things at once. I usually just kind of slide through something. But honestly, the best book I read last year was Girl, Wash Your Face. And I know that a lot of people didn't don't agree with that. A lot of people don't, you know, they didn't like the book or they didn't like her, whatever. I just felt like it was a really personable book. And it was one that I could really identify with. And I won't say that I got massive life-changing advice from it or anything. I just felt like it hit me in the feels and I needed that at the time. So that's one I read last year. Um, and I have several on my list this year, but I haven't really, I don't know that I've read a book yet this year. Moving is a problem. Yeah, I agree with you on that book. It felt like this is the only way to explain it to me is like I could have written it. Like her story oh, resonated with me so much. And yeah, the criticism, it just got ridiculous. <laughs> like, seriously. I know. I think for people who, one, don't have anything better to do in their lives than criticize somebody who's a New York Times bestseller. Second, people who just didn't identify with her story. I get that. There are books I've read and I'm like, this doesn't identify with me. Like I don't, I don't, I can't put myself in that person's shoes. But I'm the same way. I feel like I could have written in that book, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so funny. If you've read the book, she talks about the toe hair situation. Do you remember that? Yes. I look at my feet and like, I'll see like little toe hair and I can't help but think about Rachel Hollis. I know. <laughs> I know. And I was basically that girl in school. Like I just, it's so funny. And I will say, if you're not an audiobook listener, that is one I feel like you missed out if you didn't hear her reading it. Oh, you're so right. Mm -hmm. That one's really good. Mel Robbins is also incredible to listen to. Yeah. And uh, who's the other one that I read? Jen Sincero. Oh, yeah. Can't remember. Love that one. The yellow one, whatever it's called. You're, you're a badass. Her other one about making money, I haven't read yet, but the first one is really, really good. And there are some people that I really want to read their book, but their voice bores me to tears. And so <laughs> I have to read the physical book. And that takes me a lot longer because I don't carve out a lot of time to sit down and read. It's definitely one of my goals this year is to like really carve out a little more time to sit down and actually read rather than like listening passively. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell me how our audience can connect with you, where we can get all of your content, pretty much YouTube, but fill us in. How <laughs> yeah. So you can find me anywhere just by looking at my name, basically Jessica Stansberry on YouTube. I'm Jessica Stansberry. My website is jessicastansberry.com, but basically find me on YouTube. Just look up my name. You'll find me. And then from there, you'll find everything else. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and dropping all of those incredible value. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. I know you loved this conversation with Jessica and I cannot wait for you to hear the other episodes we have coming down the pipe for you. So make sure you subscribe. You are now a part of the Ambitious Motherhood community and family. We'll see you on the next episode.